Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jamie Jackson Spanhake about managing the competing obligations of our personal and professional lives, her new book, The Lawyer, The Lion, and the Laundry, Three Hours to Finding Your Calm in the Chaos, and her five traits of great lawyers. Jamie's a practicing lawyer, mediator, writer, speaker, certified health coach, and a mom who's developed a practical mind management strategy for thriving in the chaos of our lives without feeling exhausted or overwhelmed. Welcome to the Excel Legal Podcast, Jamie. Thank you, Shelley. It's so um, much my pleasure to be here. I wanted to start off just by asking what inspired you to write the book? Well, let's see. It, it probably goes way back to 1993, maybe, and uh, when I became sort of a self-help junkie, and I've been either reading or listening to self-help books um, since that time when I started with a uh, 24 cassette tape uh, program from Tony Robbins. <laughs> and um, at that time, I was really focused on time management. And um, then somewhere along the way, I became a certified health coach and started realizing that in order to have what feels like a successful life where we feel happy and fulfilled, that time management skills alone are not enough. We need what I call mind management. And I started writing uh, maybe seven years ago for Attorney at Work. And I was researching content from other experts and people and putting those in their um, articles that they call Friday Fit Five. So it's all health and wellness based. Okay. And um, I started seeing over time that whatever the health or wellness issue was that I was addressing in the articles for attorney at work, that there were repeated concepts and ideas that kept showing up. And I started realizing there's about six areas that I could distill down to really help in almost any given situation. And I thought those six would really make a nice book that I could share with other people about how I use those tools and how they've helped me and that it could help those people as much as it was helping me. So mm -hmm. I decided to write a book. Fantastic. And because you're writing for attorney at work, was your audience primarily lawyers at that time? It didn't start out that way. It started out as, and I didn't pitch the book to attorney at work in the beginning because I wasn't planning on it just being for attorneys. Um, it started out as a book for working moms and mm. because that's what I am. I'm a mom and I'm a lawyer and I'm trying to balance all these things and not feel overwhelmed and exhausted all the time. And, but then, you know, when I really started talking to people about it, I realized it wasn't just for working moms. It was for working parents. And then as I workshopped the book even more, I realized actually you don't even have to be a parent <laughs> to benefit from um, the tips and tools and techniques 
in the book. Uh, but because most of my examples are lawyer based, because that's what I do for my profession, it's particularly suited for lawyers who are trying to balance and find wellness in their life. I noticed that the book is organized around sort of three perspective shifts. Mm -hmm. um, you call choose, act, and think. Just wondering if you could sort of expand on each of those a little, little bit uh, for us. Sure. So um, the first section is choose, um, the middle section is act, and the third section is think. The first and third sections, choose and think, are the mind management sections. And part two, the act section, is more of the time management section. So in part one, I start with choosing what you want in life. And that's about defining your values. And, you know, there's a story in the book um, where I discuss how I worked really hard in law school and then you know, got that coveted big law firm job and was working really hard and on my way to partnership when it occurred to me that I didn't really want that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason I got to that place was that I didn't take the time in the beginning to really define my values and not just in my career, but in my life and what I wanted for my life. And so the first thing that one needs to do when creating a life that she loves and enjoys is being very clear on what her values are. Mm -hmm. And um, everything else builds from there. You know, it's much easier to make choices when you're clear on what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And um, we can't do everything, but we don't need to do everything. We need and want to do the things that we want and that we enjoy. And it's easier for us to say no and to limit our obligations um, when we're clear in our values. Because if things don't align with our values, then we can say no more easily. But mm -hmm. that starts with choosing what's important to you. And how, um, how, do you, how do you, sorry, how do you do that? Well, you know, I think you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. You have to, and there's a, you know, a series of questions that I have in the book where you want to think globally as to sort of what kind of day do you want to have? What kind of person do you want to be? What, what, Kind of physical environment do you want to live in? What kind of people do you want around? Do you want a family? What does that mean to you? What activities are important to you? What kind of financial situation is important to you? All those sort of big picture questions. Um, you need to really think about those and decide what is important and what you value. And, you know, it's like setting any goal. If the more precise you are with your goal setting, the more likely you are to achieve that actual goal. And the same is true in our lives. If we're deliberate and specific about what we want to create for our life, we're more likely to get that. Mm -hmm. So 
it's a lot of self-reflection um, and a lot of honesty hmm. and, and a lot of um, reality, you know, because another part of choosing what you want is also making sure that there's enough time in the day to do those things, right? Or to mm -hmm. have those things or enough time in a life um, to create this life that you want. Um, you know, the second part of the choose section of the book is about mindfulness and meditation. And I think a lot of people know or have heard about the benefits of meditation and mindfulness. But for me, the primary uh, benefit is that it gives us the ability to act instead of react in situations. Mm -hmm. So that when you, when you piggyback that onto your values, you can actually better implement your values and act in a way that's aligned with your values when you're doing things like meditating on a regular basis or practicing yoga or whatever, you know, I like sort of a sit down morning meditation. Some people prefer yoga. I also love yoga, but um, that's separate than meditation for me. Some people sort of consider those one and the same for their own mental health. Um, other people, it might be drawing or painting or going for long walks, whatever it is that allows you to turn your mind off for a little bit so that there's downtime so that you can relax and rejuvenate. That's, mm -hmm. that's the beauty of mindfulness and meditation, being present in those moments like that. And I know there's been so much uh, discussion about the benefits of mindfulness and meditation. And I know that a lot of lawyers think it sounds wonderful, but I've heard all sorts of excuses as to why it's not for them. Well, most people say, oh, I can never meditate. My mind is just going 100 miles an hour all the time. Mm -hmm. And my response to that is, that's exactly why you need to meditate, <laughs> right? Like, that's the whole point. Um, you know, but people think it's like zoning out and not, um, not thinking. And that's not what meditation is. You know, it's, you're not trying to stop thinking. You're really focusing in so that you're paying attention to what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. So that whenever you're feeling an emotion, you're irritated or you're annoyed or um, you're feeling anxiety, whatever it is, when you are able to meditate, that carries over into your day where you're able to say, oh, right now I'm feeling very anxious and sort of unpacking it for yourself in the way that you practiced in your meditation when you were focusing on your breath and then two minutes in, you realize, oh, I'm thinking about that brief I have to write, <laughs> right? And um, noting, okay, I'm thinking about that and it's making me not feel great. I'm gonna come back to focusing on my breath. So it's training the mind to almost call itself out, right? Because 
And um, this is what I talk about a lot in the third part of the book, the think portion is the way that we talk to ourselves about things. And we believe what our inner voice tells us all the time without questioning <laughs> whether mm -hmm. it's true or helpful or should we really even be listening to that? You know, a lot of people have this really um, negative inner monologue that they have going all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and meditation is yet an, is a tool that where that's another way that it can help you be aware of what you're thinking and how that's negatively affecting you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in your life. When it comes to your uh, law practice, how have you found that meditation has helped you there? It is particularly helpful in dealing with what's the right word challenging clients <laughs> and <laughs> overly aggressive opposing counsel because so? <laughs> well those are two uh, categories of people that can really push my buttons and I get everyone has their own what you know whatever it is that really sort of sets them off um, and those are the two categories of people that can um, make me react quickly instead of acting and with meditation i'm able to draw on those tools where i can see what is happening i can take a breath before i respond i can think instead of just reacting emotionally or angry or angrily or whatever the right um, emotion would or the wrong emotion in that situation actually <laughs> would be. <laughs> um, but it, it's really about staying centered. There's this um, quote that I love. It's about peace is being calm in the midst of the storm mm -hmm. um, rather than not having storms around at all, right? Because you can't, avoid storms completely in life. They're just our challenges and challenging people and challenging situations. Um, but if you can find that inner calm, which for me, that's what meditation does. It enables me to handle more stressful situations without feeling so stressed out about it. Mm-hmm. Well, something we could all use a little more of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are there any tips that you might offer the, um, the person who has never tried meditation before, the busy lawyer who at first is resisting, but listen to some of the things you've said and said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start. Yeah. Any, any suggestions, any advice you might offer? Lots, actually. Yes. Um, I, the simplest thing to do is to take two minutes, sit in your desk chair and close your, your door, your office door, sit in your car before you get out and go into somewhere. Or if you're working from home like everybody, go sit in your car where your family's not gonna bother you. You know, whatever <laughs> your situation is, somewhere where you can have just two minutes um, to not be um, interrupted. And sit up straight. Put your hands on your knees and breathe in and out deeply and slowly and focus on your breath. The easiest way to do that is to 
count your breath. Like count in one, out two, in three, out four, um, for two minutes. And you're not trying to not think about thoughts whenever your brain, uh, your mind wanders because everyone's does. That's the time where you say, oh, my mind wandered. I'm going to come back to counting and focusing on my breath again. You may lose count. Just start over at one. If you don't lose count, you get all the way up to 10, then start counting backwards. Um, and it's hard. Most people, including me, I don't like doing meditation most of the time. Like, it's really not it's really hard to sit, especially when you have so much to do, right? Um, it's hard to sit and, I'm not doing air quotes, do nothing. <laughs> um, but it's really important to, I mean, we sleep and we rest our bodies. We need to rest our brains. And just taking that two minutes a day before you plan um, really gives clarity and you know the amount of times that you know a good example of this is people who have epiphanies while they're in the shower for example mm -hmm. um, it's because they're not thinking about a bunch of different things necessarily they're they're it's downtime for their brain they're just doing that that thing of taking a shower um, and that's where you can get great answers to and great solutions to problems Mm-hmm. And I have to say, just listening to your voice and doing the following you, breathing in, breathing out, just for those few seconds, I felt an incredible calm wash over me. So You know, I can... when I, you, thank you, great. Every time I do a book talk, I, I force, I say that jokingly, the audience to, <laughs> <laughs> to join me in a two-minute meditation, you know, and sometimes people are like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, just two minutes. It'll be over in two minutes, right? Like, it's just two minutes. Um, <laughs> and the uh, amount of positive feedback that I get from people, especially people who have never meditated, where they're like, oh, just two minutes. It wasn't really that hard. And it felt so much better. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, I say to people, and you probably say this is people too, like, it takes so little energy, so little time, and absolutely no money. And it can greatly improve your life. Just mm -hmm. try it. If it doesn't improve your life after a week or two, don't do it ever again. But right. just give it a try. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and chances are you won't ever look back because right. it just does feel so good. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for that. That was great. Uh, we were talking about the, the structure of the book, the choose, act, and think part, parts. And we talked um, a little bit about choose uh, and think just tangentially, um, I'm wondering if there's other things that you might want to add to that man mind management portion that you said that we are in the, the choose and the think parts of the book. Yeah, so I, to me, the think portion of the book, part three, is the most fun part because it's a place where you can have more of a sense of humor and sort of make fun of yourself sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, one of the one of the chapters is called Enough Time. And what I like to say to people about enough time is it's, it's a way of changing your relationship with time. So, so often we say to ourselves and to others, oh, I just don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. 
And if we can flip that around and instead say, I have too much to do, it gives us control because we can't control how many hours there are in a day, but we can to some extent control what we do. Hmm. And so it's, seems like semantics, but it is not because changing it to, I have too much to do is empowering and it motivates us to either delegate, get rid of some tasks, find a better way to be efficient and effective rather than feeling victimized by what we perceive as our lack of time. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, another simple tool, um, to, change our perspective to help us rather than using words that don't help us, you know? So I stopped saying, Oh my gosh, I'm so busy (laughs) because everybody's busy. I mean, what does it even mean? Right. And, um, the more I say, Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. The more pressed for time I actually feel. It's like I am convincing myself that I'm too busy and you know, and I, I am busy, but saying it over and over again is not helping me in any way. Mm-hmm. So thinking about the language that we use when we're thinking and talking about time. Um, another portion of the think part of the book is called should know more. <laughs> and this is about accepting reality and working with it rather than constantly focusing on the way we think things should be, but aren't. Mm. Um, and I have a friend who says, uh, stop shooting all over the place. You're making a mess, <laughs> which I love that. It's so funny. Um, but the idea is the same. You know, there's some things that we can control and some things that we can't. And if we can't, and other people, by the way, are generally things we cannot control. Mm-hmm. So um, it's about either accepting the reality or changing what you can or changing something in the environment or yourself. There are situations where it's incredibly frustrating for people, right? Um, but when you realize what you can and can't do, then you don't have to struggle so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just thinking, as a lawyer yourself, were any of the strategies that uh, you recommend in the book more difficult to apply than others? Like was I, this, this shooting, was that, was that relatively natural for you? No. Hmm. And I was about to say that I think that is the most difficult tool in the book is the should no more because it really requires a person to embrace what is and then work with that. And I like to try to make things better, like most people, right? Mm -hmm. And I also live under the delusion many times, like most people, that I have control over certain things. And oftentimes that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. So I think that the should know more, the acceptance of reality is the hardest tool to implement in the book. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes because you get better at creative solutions that you can control the outcome 
and uh, or removing yourself from situations where it's never going to be acceptable to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, would a meditation practice help you with that? Of course. Meditation, uh, choosing your values and having a meditation and mindfulness practice is the base for everything else. Because the meditation practice will allow a person to be deliberate in her actions and choices. And everything in the book is easier when you approach it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So would you suggest that's a starting point or would you suggest that someone using the book go like read from beginning to end? Is it intentional that you start with choosing and then you move to acting and then you move to thinking? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as choices go, I think that, and I say this in the book too, is that because there is a resistance from many people for meditation, I did not start with meditation. <laughs> because usually when someone comes to a book like mine, they want a change. That's why they're reading the book. Something is not fitting, not working, they're not happy, they want something better, whatever it is. So the first chapter is about defining what you want because that is a juicy place for people to dive in and start on a path of change that they're seeking when they come to the book. Mm -hmm. The next chapter is on mindfulness and meditation. And at the end of that chapter, I say, now that you have a meditation practice or you're implementing one, go back and look at what you said for your value statement what you defined as your values. And now that you have a practice where you're able to be more deliberate in your choices and thoughts, reassess and make sure that what you said before you started your meditation practice is what you actually want. Mm-hmm. Well, again, makes such good sense, Jamie. <laughs> Thank such you. I think so. You know, to me, like meditation is the, the blueprint for the house, right? Like why would you, you wouldn't start building your house without some plans and meditation <laughs> is the plant is the, is the blueprint. And then you build from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So helpful, uh, particularly for the very busy lawyer, whether that's someone who's just starting out um, is on the partnership track, is a partner, wherever you are in your career, even law students. I can see students. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and that's a really good tool for anyone who's in any transition period in mm-hmm. particular, right? Because it really can help with clarity of mind, which is so important when you're managing some sort of transition. I mean, it's always important, but it, particularly when you're managing a transition, because that's a place where you're making lots of um, important and big choices, you know, all at one time. And you want to be doing that intentionally. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just one um, other uh, topic I'd like to discuss because I've been an avid reader of your attorney at work articles over the years. And one in particular, one in particular that stuck out um, for me was a very short article about the five traits of great lawyers. And I just, I was wondering if you might share those traits um, with us today, because I just 
is I think is a very different, uh, a very different take on what it takes to be a great lawyer. So yeah, you could talk us I would, that. I would happily do that. So I was, um, I was so thrilled that, uh, this article, which is, um, completely what I think about what makes a person and a lawyer great. This was the most read post at attorney at work in all of 2019. Wow. I know. So, <laughs> and the, the, one of the reasons, and when you hear what the traits are, which you know, but when everyone hears what the traits are, you'll know why I'm so happy about that because it reiterated to me that other people also believe that these things are important in the practice of law. Mm -hmm. So, um, Compassion is the first one. And, you know, compassion is where we perceive another person's problem and then we genuinely want to help them resolve it. And that is part of what we do as lawyers. You know, people come to us with their problems and then they want us to help them fix them or they come to us before there's a problem and they want us to understand the situation and help them avoid the problem in the future. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think attorneys that practice law, like business law or tax law or something that they don't perceive as particularly emotional, think that there's not really a place for compassion in their practice, but, the compassionate lawyer focuses on how the client feels and really listens. And if a lawyer doesn't have those skills, then you can't put yourself in your client's shoes and you can't figure out what they need and you can't provide the best solution. So for me, compassion is really important to be a great lawyer. Mm -hmm. The second thing, which sort of builds on compassion, is the ability to listen. And I know lawyers get a bad rap a lot of times that we all like to talk and we like to hear ourselves talk. And <laughs> that's, not, that's not untrue in many situations. But, you know, effective communication really uh, is grounded in listening. And if you don't listen to your clients actively, if, you, if you're not able to sort of hear what people mean, not just what they say, especially uh, opposing counsel or um, clients on the other side of the table, um, your adversaries and the judges, for example, um, you can't, you miss, you miss important information if you're not a good listener. So an ability to listen um, is the basis for communication, which we all need good communication skills as lawyers. Mm -hmm. And truly listening, as you say, active listening. Yeah, as, right. Yeah, as opposed to listening um, with one ear and thinking about what your next question is at the same time. That's right. And it's, it's hard mm -hmm. to do. Like, you have to practice it, right? Um, mm -hmm. So the third thing on the list, and this was a really important one to me, and this was actually the reason I wrote this article to begin with, um, was assertiveness, not aggressiveness. Hmm. So I have often heard people say, particularly about female lawyers, that she's not aggressive enough to be an effective lawyer. And that always just irritates me so much because it's not about being aggressive. It's about being assertive. And assertive lawyers state their opinions and they make themselves heard, but they're respectful of other people. And aggressive lawyers 
attack other people and ignore other people's opinions in favor of their own. Mm. So much like compassion, when you're overly aggressive, it's detrimental to you and your clients because you're not listening, you're not paying attention. And when you are assertive, you're able to get your point across. So you're able to effectively advocate for your client and you're strong. And I think people equate aggressiveness with strengths and they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any suggestions for, as you mentioned, that's particularly um, prevalent with female lawyers, any suggestions on how someone can be assertive as opposed to aggressive? Because I know it's probably really difficult uh, if that doesn't come to you naturally. And then you hear things like you need to be more aggressive or whatever it is. And and, and yeah, how how do you do that if it doesn't come naturally to you, the assertiveness? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be confident in your position and um, you have to be prepared. And I believe with those two, preparation and a confidence in your competency, it's, it's, um, it's much easier to be assertive because you're clear on what you need or your client needs or wants and you're clear on what under the law you're um, allowed or what you have a right to have. And then it's just a matter of communicating clearly that that's what you want and need and expect. And Mm -hmm. it's not emotional. You know, it's um, when you're very clear about what you want and need or believe, um, it's easy to set boundaries and it's easy to just state what it is that you want and need without Mm -hmm. being distracted by other things. And you don't need to be aggressive in that scenario. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the tips I would say for assertiveness to answer your question in a very long winded way (laughs) is that um, I think that you need to be prepared and You need to believe in your ability to achieve whatever it is that needs to be achieved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, again, like you say, really comes with confidence and experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, and then there's the always fake it till you make it, which (laughs) sometimes I I agree with and sometimes I don't, Um, but it works. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the confidence yet, then mm-hmm. um, be assertive and, and fake it till you make it. Yeah, I've also heard another variation on that is act as if. I like that even better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the traits of, of great lawyers, compassion, ability to listen, assertiveness, not mm-hmm. aggressiveness. Right. And yeah, what's the fourth? Creativity. So I think that we as lawyers are a pretty risk averse group. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how could we not be after spending all that time reading um, cases in law school where everything that could possibly go wrong did go Mm -hmm. wrong. Um, And, but we have to learn to think outside the box and to create unique solutions um, for our clients. And 
to me, the basis for that is really listening. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to the listening and the compassion because there's often a black and white answer to something. Um, but sometimes even the black and white answer to something or solution doesn't really address the underlying needs. And I, I get into this a lot when I mediate, because I mediate. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes what people are asking for is not even what they want, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can listen to what it is that they actually want or need or what the real problem is, then you can come up with a creative solution um, that works for people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we as lawyers have to remember that we have to be creative and think outside the box and that our clients will thank us for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also the idea that oftentimes clients really don't know what's motivating them to behave the way they are behaving or, you know, following a path that they're following. And I think that's, that's right. one of the wonderful things about mediation is that you are able to uncover that. Yes. Yeah. It's always such a, a wonderful thing when you see that client recognizing, wow, that's really what's underlying all of this. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 So creativity and number five. Perseverance. We have to just keep, trying and keep going but we also have to recognize that you got to take a break if, if things are not working and whether that's five minutes or sleeping and coming back the next day or doing a meditation <laughs> um that we have to keep trying um we have to walk away when we need to and come back so that we're fresh and ready to do what needs to be done mm-hmm yeah, really important. We can get so caught up in the fray. Yes. And I really feel that um, this idea of achieving a healthy balance between our professional and personal lives is much more attainable with the tips that you provided and with all the other words of wisdom in your books. So I really encourage people to read your wonderful book, The Lawyer, The Lion, and The Laundry. So what's next for you? I know you always have so many balls uh, that you're juggling. What's, uh, what's on the horizon? Yeah, so I have so many ideas, but I uh, recently developed and launched um, an online meditation course. So it's three weeks of guided meditation. Each meditation um, is a video that's about five minutes long. So um, you can find that on my website, which is jamiespanhake.com. And I also just launched my eight-week coaching program. Um, as well as my membership program. So I'm very excited about those two. And I'll be offering some more webinars and online seminars in the upcoming months. And I look forward to when I can get back into seeing people and in-person uh, speaking engagements and events again as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the fact that you're able to do all of that plus practice law as a partner, um, yeah, shows that these strategies really do work. So they really uh, do. Yeah, Shelly, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Oh my for goodness! The opportunity to speak to you today, I really enjoyed it, and it's such a great opportunity for me to help other people as well, which is what I want to do. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. 
Oh my goodness, thank you so much for being here. You definitely provided us with some calm in the chaos that most of us are living right now. Yes, now go meditate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Shelley. Thanks for joining me today on the Excel Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for great topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to me at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L dot com.